after you, pay for your people, pay for your team, pay for yourself, pay for your supplies. How much are you walking away with? That is what profit is. Welcome back to Duo On Air. I'm Abby. And I'm Courtney. And we're the ex-agency turned entrepreneurial team that puts the Duo in Duo Collective. Our boutique organic marketing agency specializes in SEO, social media strategy, and brand. We're an everyday pair of business besties slash marketing experts obsessed with helping our community learn more about what it takes to run a business. Which is why on Duo On Air, we're not holding anything back. We're giving you all the info we know about how to grow your business organically so you can be the confident CEO you were made to be. And how to navigate life as a small business owner. Whether it's on your own or with your best friend by your side. So grab your coffee or your mimosa, we don't judge, and settle in for a quick value-packed episode of Marketing Tips. Welcome back to the Duo On Air podcast. This is episode number 105. And if you've been here a while, you know that we don't shy away from the conversations about money and profitability. That's why when Kendra and Nicole popped into our inbox wanting to chat about things like scaling, financial stability, and peace of mind, we knew you'd probably want to hear it too. Kendra is the CEO of the Finance Femme and a virtual CFO of numerous entrepreneurs just like you. We couldn't wait to pick her brain on things like profit margins and hidden costs that might be affecting our profitability. Leaving this conversation, we had some immediate action items to dig into for Duo, and I am certain that you will have a few too. So let's get into it and meet Kendra. Hello, Kendra. We are so excited to have you on the Duo On Air podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about the the conversation. Yes, we are not afraid to talk about all things money. So I think well, we've had a <laughs> Courtney. I'm happy. afraid. Cor- I'm, not, Courtney. I'm not the number gal. I'm the color <laughs> and font gal. <laughs> Abby is the number gal. <laughs> uh, yes. But we know that in our past episodes, people have loved just getting to talk about all the things from just you know, all the scary things that feel scary. And we love being able to kind of drive efficiencies, increase profitability. That's the dream, right? So we are super excited to talk to you and you're going to tell us all about like what you do, who you are and all of that. But I'd love for you just to kind of talk about the initial journey. So I know you prior owned an accounting firm and then kind of broke off and started doing your own fractional CFO stuff. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, for sure. So um, actually, I never even intended on starting the accounting business. It, so my background is in is in finance, and I've always I was in corporate for a while and kind of climbed that ladder. And I do not come from an entrepreneurial family, so I just always thought I was going to just continue to climb that ladder. And um, I had friends that were actually starting businesses though, and they were doing really well in their business and making actually some pretty good money in their business, but they still they didn't act like they were making good money. Like they were so stressed out about money. Still, they um, didn't know why their cash balance in their bank account wasn't really matching what they were showing in like Shopify sales, right? And so I started to look at their numbers and um, see like what was going on there. And I, at first I was asking them like, hey, well, let me just talk to your accountant. And they're like, an accountant? We don't have an accountant. Like I'm just sitting here selling. Like, I don't have a team. And so that's when I realized that there were so many small business owners out there that do really well at what they do. So they, the income comes in but they don't necessarily manage it as a business, which is perfectly understandable to begin with because you're just kind of in the weeds of doing what needs to be done for revenue generation. Um, But long story short, I 
started the accounting firm to support those women. And then once we got that going, I was able to come in and really do what I love, which is the finance work and start the fractional CFO side as well with the strategy. That's awesome. That sounds very similar. I feel like we were mm-hmm. we were definitely corporate ladder climbers to begin with. And then and that's where we thought we were going to be yeah. forever. Yeah. And then yeah. Yeah, you quickly realize that ain't that ain't what we want to do. Nope. <laughs> yeah. well, it's, it's what you know. But then when you dip your toe in the entrepreneurial pool and you get a little taste of what that life is like, you're like, oh, okay, wait a second. Maybe you maybe this is going away. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to go back, you know, if, if that's what you're really loving um, and, and what you love to do. So absolutely. Like it was, it was easy. Yeah. So do you still do now, like some of like, it sounds like maybe back in the day you did like bookkeeping and all of that. Do you still do that now? Or are you more truly in like a CFO role where you do less of the day-to-day kind of accounting? Yeah, great question. So actually I have never done the bookkeeping. I never did the accounting (laughs) from day one. (laughs) When I found out that my friends did not have accountants, I, I saw the, the need for it, but I am not an accountant. I'm in all things finance, right? So I was like, okay, from day one, I actually went on Upwork at the time and found um, someone who, a CPA, amazing, you know, accountant, and she's still with me to this day. So she started with me, obviously, as a contractor, but now seven, eight years later, she's actually my director of accounting. And so um, I have always handed the accounting to my accounting team because that's about my, my area of expertise and my zone of genius. Um, so it wasn't until I was able to build that out though, that I was able to do the fractional CFO work because I can't do CFO analysis and data and all of that with bad data. Right. So, um, I had to build out that accounting team in order to, to really serve on the fractional CFO side. Yeah, that's great. I think that's also a really good distinction. And I would love for you to talk about the difference there because I think so many times people just bucket it into one bucket and they're like, oh, I need someone who's just going to like fix everything, like, you know, fix everything for me where they're two very different things. Like you have a bookkeeper, you have an accountant. Sometimes they go together, but sometimes they don't. And then also having a CFO. So can you tell us kind of like high level, big differences between why you need these three different things in your business? I would love to, because you're (laughs) correct. It does get mixed up so often. And it gets mixed up within the industry, honestly. It's just, it's not very clear. Um, But this is the way to to hopefully kind of clear it up. So I look at them as actually three different pillars. So accounting and bookkeeping are one and the same. It's just what level of like detail and the scope, right? But essentially accounting at the end of the day, whether you're working with an accountant or a bookkeeper, they're looking at historically what has happened. So every time you swipe your card, every time you pay for something online, every tra- everything creates a transaction that the accounting team or your bookkeeper is responsible for classifying according to like how you're going to file your taxes at the end of the year, right? Is this a, a an entertainment expense or is this a rent expense, right? So they're kind of determining what everything is that has already happened in the past. And they're able to then create financial statements from that because they've kind of tracked everything that you've done, um, your, which is obviously super important, foundational for everything, because you're able to then see how much money is coming in, where's the money going, your cash flow, all of that. Finance comes in after that and says, okay, that's the foundation. That's where you are, but where, where are you trying to go? okay, you're currently profiting 50, 50K a year, but you're wanting to get to 150 a year. How do we get there? So we're creating the strategy to determine how to go from where we are to where we're wanting to go. That's where finance really steps in. And we're using data to help drive those decisions. Some financial data, but some operational data. I use just as much operational data as I do financial data. And then the third pillar is really tax. 
So tax is, you know, the thing that nobody really wants to talk about and think about, but it's there and it's not going anywhere. (laughs) And tax is something that whether you're a business owner or even not, right? Even if you're just W-2 employee, you still have to deal with taxes. So tax is kind of its own pillar um, that everyone is, you know, unfortunately impacted by. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's great. I think we oftentimes at the end of the year, and I'm saying this collectively, I feel like as an entrepreneurial industry, at the end of the year, we kind of look and even if we have someone who's managing our books and keeping all of that data for us, we look at it and then we're like, great, like I had this goal, right, to like increase revenue or do whatever it was. And we look at it and see if we did it, but we're not actively doing things throughout the year that can help us meet those goals. We're just kind of looking at the data at the end and like, did we hit it? Did we not? Like, I guess I need to sell more or book more, but you're not actively making changes sometimes to get there throughout the year. Right. Yes. Yes. That's why it's so important to work with someone who is giving you that data throughout the year and, you know, giving you your financials at the end of the month so that you're able to either on your own kind of create a strategy or work with someone to create a strategy, but you're using, you're leveraging your data because you have it. Every time you start the car, you're creating data. So you're using that data to make the decisions that we all have to make. And a lot of times we go off of our gut instinct, which is very important. Listen to your intuition, but also like give yourself some data to help your to help guide what you're thinking, you know? So when you're wondering how much should I pay this employee or how much should I price this project at, your data can help you make those decisions. Yeah, for sure. So we wanted to talk specifically today about all some different tips and insider knowledge you can share secrets, so to speak, um, of how we can help increase our bottom line. And we're kind of starting, like we're starting the year here, right? So these are kind of things we can all work towards um, other than, you know, hiring someone to help you with your actual (laughs) CFO side of the business. Um, But we, so one of the things I wanted to talk about was profit margins, Um, we're really big queens of keeping things jargon free. And so we like, which even the word profit margin might like people are listening to it right now and they're like, ah, I don't know what what that that? That's scary. Yeah. So can you just briefly discuss with us what a profit margin is and basically how as entrepreneurs, we should be measuring that, especially if we don't have a team that's helping us manage all of this. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, to like cut the jargon, what profit margin is, is it's the money that you're actually walking away with at the end of the day. So you might price something at $1,000 for you to, you know, build a sales page on their website or for you to sell them, you know, X, Y, and Z item. That's the $1,000, but chip away the cost to actually create that product or sell that product, chip away your operational expenses, like all of those things come out of that money, that $1,000, what you're left with, let's say is $200, that's your profit margin. And so the higher that that is, not just as a dollar, but like as a percent of what you're selling, the higher that is, the more money you're actually left with. So that's why um, not looking at profit margin is why you might feel like you're generating all of these sales if you look in your Shopify or if you look in your Square, but you're feeling cash strapped, it's probably profit margin, you know? And then to not, make it complicated but to also add this in there's two different types of margin right so there's like the margin that you're making after you just paid for the product that you're selling but then there's like the margin after all of your operating expenses what really really matters is that bottom line profit margin your net profit margin after you pay for your people pay for your team pay for yourself pay for your supplies how much are you walking away with that is what profit is 
And um, so some ways to really make sure that you're keeping an eye on it and that it doesn't get out of hand is to uh, to limit your day-to-day spending as much as possible. Now, let's not get ridiculous. This isn't like the cut out the Starbucks conversation that mm-hmm. everyone wants to have, right? It's not that. You can have your Starbucks. But if you are um, going to go and spend money on something where you're getting something in return, so maybe it's like ad, ad spend, you know, make sure you're actually tracking it. You know, go into the back into Facebook and see what are you actually getting in return for that? Because that's going to contribute to your profit margin. It's essentially thinking about it this way that every dollar that goes out, what am I getting back? And it doesn't always have to be financial. You know, it might just be peace. It might just be your own time so that you can then go out there and do some other things. But for every dollar that I'm spending on this person, on this product, on the SaaS tool or whatever it is, what am I getting back? And is that worth it? And that will help you um, increase that profit margin over time. Yeah, I think that is something people for, often forget too, because whether it's a product or a service, you have so many things that you're likely paying for in the background too, like an email service provider, you're paying for your domain, you're paying for a project management system, you're paying for you know just a million different things. And I think sometimes we forget all of that adds up and that is at the end of the day going to affect your profit margin. You might not be able to bundle it to a specific service or a specific product, because it is generalized. But um, that is something that I think we often forget about is that we think of, oh, this service, like for us, for example, for branding, we include assets. So like we'll buy font licenses, we'll buy um, like different, you know, if we purchase illustrations or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. just any assets that we're buying. So purchasing all of that, that comes out of the project. But there's also like, we have to pay for a year for Adobe. Like we have to make Mm -hmm. sure we have Illustrator and Photoshop and all the things. So those are also things that, which I guess people probably forget about those additional operating costs in addition to what the product is costing. And that can probably continue to help you feel like strapped for cash at the end of the day. All the time. Yeah. So to your point, there's the product cost, which is that's what's going to impact that top line margin. But yeah, there's the product cost. And then there's your operational just day-to-day business costs. So you want to be clear on what both of those are. And oftentimes, yes, when you're pricing or scoping out a project, you're very clear on those product costs. You're taking those into consideration. But you want to also be aware of what your day-to-day operating costs are as well. Luckily, those things tend to be relatively flat month over month, you know, Um, unless you're like paying for something annual versus like a a monthly SaaS tool and you just pay for it annually. But once you become aware of what those are, you're you're like, okay, I know I'm I'm cost the business is costing 12K a month for just day to day operational stuff, you know all the SaaS tools, maybe some contractors that are supporting the business and not necessarily projects, you at least are aware of how much that part is so that you can take that into consideration when you're thinking about the price of your your products, your product offerings. It's funny that Abby brings that up because I'm such a, like I, money has always been very intimidating to me. And so thank God that I have Abby because she's much, she's got a much better handle on it than I do. And it's funny because in our business, I feel like I'm so frugal. Like I'm like, nope, I can't spend an extra cent. Like I have to, like, we have to save our money and blah, blah, blah. But in my personal life, I'm like, oh yeah, that's okay. Like I can spend that kind of money. But it's funny when we like back when we started duo, I feel like I'm getting better now, but if I had to buy something for branding that would like be more efficient for me or make my workload, you know, faster or easier, I would, I wouldn't do it. I would just like work extra hours to do it. And it finally got to a point where Abby's like, 
okay, Courtney, is it like more, is it like faster and efficient for you to do that? Or is it faster for you to like create it? And I was like, well, it's faster for me to do this. Like this is an inefficiency in my workload. And she's like, well, then it's worth the investment. And, but I was always just like, no, I should just put more time into it and not spend the money. So it's funny how like you have to work around those mindsets when it comes to things like profit and purchasing and all of these like efficiencies in your business. And so it got to that point where I'm like, I would ask myself, is this going to save me time? And it, you know, it doesn't cost like thousands of dollars. It's a pretty small, you know, thing that I have to purchase for our business. It made sense. So it's asking mm -hmm. questions like that along the line too, at the end of the day you know, efficiencies yeah. and mindsets and, mm -hmm. you know, productivity yeah. and all of that stuff too. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Money, there's, there's a ton around money mindset when it comes to like business, well, just in general, right. In life. But then for sure that extra layer, like what you just mentioned about, you know, kind of thinking about money one way, personal versus business. Well, business, we have other people that are impacted. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's a, it's a little bit of a different, sometimes added pressure to it that might, that might be there, but but you're absolutely right when you say investment versus expense, right? And so it's that's how you kind of can help determine is something more of an investment or is it an expense? Like, sure, it might actually still be an expense, but are am I getting something back from this? Again, whether it's dollars or whether it's just time or any other resource that you value, that's important as well. Yeah, you know, it's very as well. Yeah, for sure. So when you first come in, I'd love to talk about whether this be like client specific examples that have happened or like generalized things you typically see across your clients. Um, what are some hidden costs that people that are usually causing like this off balance or causing people to be cash strapped and they are spending all this money and they don't realize it? Like, are there any hidden things that you're kind of seeing? Like, oh yeah, I know 90% of my clients that I jump in and I look and I'm like, why are you paying for this? This is dumb. Like, is there anything like that? Yeah. Well, I'll say, so I'll say on the smaller scale and then I'll say on the larger scale. So there are on the smaller scale, there's definitely this obsession that we, that we have. I'll admit I have it as well with tools and like things that we say, okay, let me sign up for it. And then I'll try the trial. And then the trial goes in and we're like, well, it's only $12 a month. I'm going to just keep it because I might use it one day. And then we never use it. And and their prices go up every three months. And next thing you know, it's $62 a month. And we're like, hey, I thought it was 12. And so there's definitely a lot of that. And, you know, 10, $62 a month tools that you're not using um, will add up very, very quickly, right? So I will definitely say, take it some time. And we can talk about, you know, this concept that I have about money dating if you want um, later, but like take some time, have a money date with yourself, look through your financials and clear out some of those tools that you're just not using. Um, so I would say that's like on the smaller scale, on the larger scale, it's kind of similar, but a little bit different in that there are a lot of, um, different programs and things that I think that we tend to sometimes pay for, and we don't do the work on, if we're going to do the work on it, to be able to then give ourselves the opportunity to get the return. Excellent. But if we're not doing the work on it, then we tend to get upset afterwards and we're like, oh, I wasted all this money. Well, you didn't, you just didn't do the work. Right. So I think um, a lot of times it's be realistic with yourself about if you do want to invest in some of these higher price point things um, that, that are going to involve your time and your commitment to actually follow it through, make sure that you're actually, you know, then doing those things. And then lastly, I would say um, it's actually team, but I want to caveat this by saying um, you need a team. Like, 
at, at, at some point. Initially, you're going to wear all the hats. That's always going to be the case. And it actually, to, it's a good point to, or a good reason to actually wear all the hats in the beginning. But at some point, you are going to want to delegate and pass things off. Um, just make sure that you are you know, really pouring into your team the way that you're wanting them to pour into your business because that is the highest and quickest way to kind of leak out the money in the business is by paying team members that are not contributing the way that you're needing them to contribute. And it's not always their fault, but it is always painful when it doesn't work out. So um, that's that's going to be the higher dollar amount um, money leak that you'll see. Mm -hmm, for sure. Oh man. Also your tool spoke to me as I'm like about to re-up an annual plan for a tool that I know we need to redo something in. And I'm like, oh man, I need, I need to like focus on that because if we're about to pay for that annually again, like to your point, put in the work, make sure that it gets the return that you right want. right and i'm sitting here yeah. and i'm like what other things are we signed up for that are maybe little that we can get <laughs> rid know. of yeah. i love the money date yeah tell us about yeah that. talk a little bit more about that that's sounds interesting <laughs> yeah so a money date is um i suggest doing this weekly and i know at first it's going to be like wait every week but i promise it's going to become like a 15 minute little exercise at some point but every week just pick a day of the week that works best for you um in and in a time on that day because you want it to be consistent so for me before i had my son it was sunday evenings now pff, sunday evening belongs to him he's three so forget about it but um, <laughs> it was sunday evenings and i would sit down and the process is simple you just you literally log into all of your your bank accounts to so your bank accounts and credit cards anywhere where you have a big account and credit card, log in and just look at your last seven days worth of activity. And this is why you want to do it weekly because if you just did it once a month, now you're looking at 30 days worth of activity and forget it, like it's not happening. So look, just look at your last seven days worth of activity. And that's really the exercise. What you'll notice though over time is that you'll get very familiar with your act, like your habits. You know, what are the things that you are actually paying for? Oh, wait, wait a second. I don't recognize this $127 charge to X, Y, and Z. What is that all about? Let me let me look into that. Let me cancel it if it's real or let me create a fraud alert if it's not. Um, but you become very familiar with your habits. Um, and then eventually you can even bake in the process of like the, during this time is when I'm going to, you know, um, you know, pay down my credit cards or pay whatever bills are due for the week. And you can kind of create that routine for yourself. But initially to start just every seven days in that same day of the week at that same time, just log into your accounts and look at your activity. And you'll start to feel that confidence around, oh, my numbers aren't that scary. Like I know what they are. This is not an exercise to create a PL or a balance sheet and do all of that. You're literally just looking at your activity. I and you'll get more and more confident in what's going on in your yeah. um in your financial you know life. And this is where people find out when they're addicted to Starbucks. <laughs> like, oh shoot! <laughs> yeah, right. Well, every other day, right? They'll they'll definitely <laughs> see those things uh poke up on their on their um right. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. And like you said too, like, it's not about cutting it. Like it's also about like, how does that motivate you throughout your day? And is it reasonable? Like, like you said, if you're going to Starbucks daily, yeah, that's probably not reasonable, but right. Yeah. How, how can you make sure that whatever you're doing is like bringing you joy and sustaining you and doing all the things mm -hmm. that you want to do as a business owner, but also helping you remain to like remain profitable and hit your profit goals at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah it's just about awareness. It's just mm -hmm. about a word. If you if you do then start layering in, you know, looking at your financial statements at each month in and you see the profit for the month and you're like, okay, well, we made, you know, a hundred grand this month, but I only profited, 
10 grand. Well, you you now also know from the last four weeks, from your last four money dates, that you maybe did a little bit more traveling or maybe you did a little bit more of this, you know, investment into this and you're aware. And so it's not as shocking to you when you see it. You're not just like feeling maybe defeated. I'm like, I made all this money, but I'm not seeing it. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, I, I, I know what I did with it. You know, um, it's just it's about awareness because the first step in making money not so scary and also making um, this data available to you to like use for decision making is to just knock the fear part out. Like just make yourself aware that it's there and then it's actually can help you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think another thing too, and I'm curious if this happens with your clients and stuff, um, like our bookkeeper every month sends us, uh, um, our profit loss, like how are we looking this month, which is great. I never look at that bottom line and think that's money in our pocket though, because, we are always saving 20% for taxes. We're saving 5% for profit. We're saving, like things are going in different buckets. So we're saving money in different ways. And your bottom line is just telling you your expenses versus how much money you made. So it's never accurate to like whether our expenses are actually being covered. So I'm curious if this happens with your clients too, because I'll look at that and I'll be like, okay, we're saving 20% for expenses. So I need to make sure that all of my expenses are within that 20%. Otherwise, I'm not saving enough. Like my my profit first, like ratios are all off basically. Mm-hmm. So that's usually what I'm looking at. Um, and I know like a lot of people can look at that bottom line and be like, wow, I'm killing it. But really they're actually depleting everything every month or they're, they're going to eventually have to decrease their salary because they're not hitting their numbers. So that's like how my brain works, but I'm super curious if that's something you come across with your, your clients too. Yeah. So it's going to depend on the structure, a little bit of, on the structure of their business, but, um, but let's assume like, let's say that they're not using the profit first method and they're just actually looking at their profit on the PL at the end of the month. And let's assume that they are like a, a S corporation, meaning they're like taking their salary out of the business. So if they see at the end of the month that they have, you know, this profit that's there, you're right. That profit is literally just your profit and what you're actually going to be taxed on. But you need to understand that a portion of that is going to, well, should cover what your tax bill is going to be at the end of the month or or at the end of the year. Or it should cover if you're going to have any um, additional like expenses that have to go out for maybe retirement contributions that you're going to, you know, pay your team and things like that. So it's going to depend on that type of business and how they're structured and whether or not they're doing profit first or not. But you definitely want to understand for you and for your business what that profit means and what that profit needs to account for at the end of the day. For everyone, it's going to have to account for taxes. Because if you're profiting anything, a dollar, Uncle Sam is going to want a part of that dollar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, you do need to know, okay, yes, this is what the profit is, but what are the things that I need to kind of earmark this profit for? Um, knowing that it's not necessarily just straight cash in the bank. And also, like if you have any kind of debt, whether it's loans, credit cards, anything like that, then 100K profit is not 100K cash in your hand because some of that is going towards the debt. And that's a balance sheet item, which, you know, jargon free, won't go into that, but <laughs> not cash in your hand, right? So, um, so yes, absolutely. You have to understand that that profit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's so like, it's great when you outsource and you have a bookkeeper and you have those numbers, but you still have to have that accountability for like what that number actually means, because to your business, it's going to mean something different for everyone for sure. Um, tell, so you chatted a little bit about how like hiring and like investing in your people is huge. Um, 
Do you see, like, I feel like I feel this within our business. We have a few people, we don't have full-time employees, but we have contractors that we hire to support our team. But I know like the angst, I guess, to hire a full-time employee as an entrepreneur, as a small business, business owner is high. And I'm assuming it's high across a lot of our listeners too, or even just contractors, like just getting people to work on your business. It feels scary because again, it's a bigger responsibility. You now have to not just pay yourself, but you now have to pay other people. But I also imagine it is the only, not probably not the only, but a huge way to scale and meet higher profit goals. I would love to hear from you. Like, is that a huge barrier that you are working to overcome? Or is it something where like, I guess, what kind of tips do you have? Like, is that something that's really common with your clients and you see people see greater success when they actually do it? Yeah, for, so for sure, well, okay. So for sure, greater success, but greater success when it rolls out. Um, I don't wanna say right, but but with some things in mind. And so one of the biggest tips that I have around onboarding, whether it is a W-2 employee or even a contractor, is carve out the appropriate time to make it happen. And it's it's very easy to say that, but a lot of times we, myself guilty is with this as well, wait until the very last minute. Like we, we wait until we are just overwhelmed and like in the weeds and we're like, I can do it myself, I can do it myself, uh, I can't do it myself. And then we want to bring the person in and it's very, it makes it harder to do it with um, the proper amount of time that we need. Because onboarding is where I usually see the 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 relationships start to go sour before it really you know should and and that's that's the important piece I, I guess i'll just say that that's the important part of bringing on a new team member is how you onboard them you can have the most excellent candidate and they are so super excited to to start working again w2 or contractor but if the onboarding is like chaos and overwhelm and they're just like don't know the direction and they don't know how to succeed then that investment might not work out and it's unfortunate but um, so you want to make sure that you carve out the appropriate time. So once you see that that's coming down the pipeline and like, okay, we might need to bring someone on for marketing. We might need to bring someone on for copywriting. Go ahead and start that process and create a timeline for when you want that to happen and when you want them to be onboarded. And then, um, so that's the first thing is, is having the appropriate time for it, but then also having what I call a 30, 60, 90 day success goal. And so it's literally a one page document. That says in 30 days and 60 days and in 90 days, if you do these few bullets, like just a few bullet points for each one, if you do these few bullets, you have knocked it out of the park. And that way, when they're onboarded, they already know exactly like, you know, okay, if I do these things, then I'm successful at this company. Because, you you know, when you're first coming on to a new um, company, you don't really know. You're like, I want to do everything. I want to like be the best, but you're still trying to figure everything out, but just lay it out for them. In 30 days, we will love if you do this. 60 if you do this and 90 if you do this. Sure, there might be some other like, ancillary things, but if you knock these things out of the park, excellent. And that just really starts the relationship off great. Um, so those are the two biggest things is create the proper timeline for it and then just let them know from the very get-go what they can do to be successful in that role. So it's kind of like giving them goals right away for them to achieve within those 30, 60, 90 yeah. Yeah. And even if those goals aren't like something that they can very easily check off, like secure 10 new whatever, but it might be something more of like oversee this new process and streamline it. Streamlining it is very subjective. 
right? But give them some guidance on what does that mean? Take it from a 10-day process to a seven-day process, you know, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. um, but you want to just be, make it clear for them and also clear for yourself and for the team what the expectation is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great because I do think like, especially when you're joining a new team, there's a lot of nerves and like anxiety to get everything right um, on both ends. Right. So, and making sure that your employee or the person working for you has goals and they feel good when they hit them. Like that's important too, because if they feel good, then they're going to keep performing at an optimal level, um, making sure that that's happening. But also you need to judge whether that was a good hire for you. Like, is that working for your business? And a lot of times we either don't have goals at all, or we have very unrealistic goals and we're setting people right. up for failure from the very get-go and we don't even realize it. But if you put it down on paper and you've both seen the goals and you both agree to the goals, now you know that they're like somewhat realistic. Obviously you can still make changes, but I think that's so important because we can, and I've seen this all the time, like people hire VAs or someone on their team with the most unrealistic goals where they told their VA that basically like in their mind, their VA is bringing them business. And I'm like, no, that's not mm -hmm. their job. Like it is your job to bring in business. It's your job to close sales. Yeah, sure. Maybe your inquiries would increase a little bit, but you are still like, it's still your job. Um, And I think having those goals of like, hey, your goal is that you're going to create social posts for me and here's how many I want to create. And if they know they did their job, then you need to follow through on your job. So I think that is so important because we can set such unrealistic expectations for the people that support us, which then just creates like this whole negative atmosphere overall. And I think sometimes those unrealistic expectations come when we are just in the weeds of things and we're just trying to like figure out solutions. So yeah, this VA, I'm going to hire you. You're going to get me more sales. And it's like, if you really were to, to outline this in advance before you got yourself in the weeds, you would know that that's not really, you know, that's not really the responsibility of the VA. But so, you know, you want to just go into it and give yourself that time to properly scope everything out, to properly find them and onboard them. So, mm -hmm. um, that's, that's the two biggest pieces. I yeah. See I think that's great advice. I think everybody, I think, well, not everybody, but I think a lot of people do get to that phase where they're like just strapped and overwhelmed and like, oh my gosh, now is when I need help. And then they just like hire the help immediately. And they don't take that time to actually sit down and think through it. And again, it's not really fair to you and your business or your clients or to the person that you're now onboarding. It's just mm -hmm. very chaotic and you don't really have a plan. And then, you know, it could ultimately end up not working. So I think that's really, really important to give yourself that time. Yeah. Yeah. And also a lot of times I think we hire out of need or want, like we hire because we want things to get better. So like if we're declining from a profit standpoint and we're now hiring because we want people to help increase our profit, I personally think that's like a bad choice. You're putting a lot mm -hmm. of pressure on that one person or that one thing or whatever you're hiring to do the work. Whereas when you're hiring out of support, like to continue to grow, continue to improve, I think that creates a whole different experience. So I think sometimes it's also just the the mindset you have and why you're hiring too. Absolutely. Um, okay. So as we kind of wrap this up, is there maybe one or two things that you want to share um, that people could do, whether it be like today, this month, this year, whatever, um, to kind of work towards bettering overall our profitability? I know that's a very general statement, but. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, if so, if you're if you're currently working, well, I'll just start. If you are currently working with a bookkeeper, anyone that's that's kind of helping you with your numbers, I would definitely say make sure that you have. Um, if you don't already have um, a service with them where you're meeting with them every month, just reach out to them and see is there a way now that we're at year end, can we just have a call, a thirty minute call to kind of review the numbers, have an understanding. They might charge you hopefully not much for it, but just have a call with them. Um, or if you are already working with the bookkeeper where you are having monthly calls, definitely make sure that when you go to those calls, you're really bringing some questions that you might have about um, about your business and asking them directly like, hey, do you see anything in the business that I could do differently? Because a lot of times bookkeepers are doing your day to day transactions, but they're not necessarily bringing advisory you know, services to you. But if you ask them, they might have some thoughts on what you can do. Now, if you're not working with anyone currently, my biggest suggestion would be to start if you can, if, if you can afford it for sure. Um, but if not, and if it's not a good time for it, um, then definitely make it a point to just look at your business bank activity on a consistent basis so that you can get familiar with what's going on. There will come a time though, and I usually say if you're hitting about five to eight grand a month in sales, then it's time to find someone. Um, but there will come a time where you'll want to transfer that over to somebody and have someone maintaining it. Because if you're bringing in five to eight grand a month, I mean, that's almost a hundred K a year. You, you know, you should be able to carve out a few hundred dollars to a bookkeeper to be able to keep track of that. Because what you can do by looking at your bank statements is good for like your confidence building, but the clarity and your numbers and where your money is going won't come until you're actually running that through an accounting software. Um, so that would be the biggest thing that, that I would say as far as tips is bringing someone on board. If you can afford it, again, if you're making five to eight K a month or more, you should be able to support that and, um, have somebody come in and, and help you see what's going on specifically in your business. And also I'll throw in for those of you that are generating a little bit more. So maybe if you're like making, I'd say like 50 to 60 K of profit each year or more, then if you're not currently an S-Corp, consider electing S-Corp status, um, but definitely have a conversation with either your accountant or bookkeeper about your specific situation. But typically, if you're hitting about 50K or more in profit, you want to consider S-Corporation because you'll have some some big benefits there from a tax perspective. Yeah, for sure. Now's the time too. I, I know too, I mean, our accountant's the one that made that suggestion for us whenever we went back and did that. But I know, and I'm again, not an accountant, nor am I here to give you advice on that. But I know for us, that was something that you could backtrack. Like at the end of the year, he then filed back. So that's also something that I know you can talk with your accountant about looking at like what makes sense since we're approaching tax season and all of that fun, fun stuff that everyone loves and gets mad anxiety for. Oh yeah, it's fun <laughs> tax and I think everybody can start doing money dates because yes, that seems. I think like you need to really put that on your calendar. I need sure. to start money dates. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Then I will not be as scared about money, uh, and I'll probably maybe start to enjoy it a little right? bit more. Right. I know. Yeah, you feel good. You feel good knowing where your money's going. There's no surprises then, you know. Yeah. So, exactly. I like it. All right. Can you share with everyone where they can go to find you and kind of learn just all about what you, what you do, what you have to offer, and all of that, or if you have any free takeaways for anyone, anyone. Sure. So the best place to find us is at the So that's the website. Um, and then also we are on Instagram at the finance film. So those are the main two areas where you can learn more about um, our services, but then also we have some freebies on there as far as like some more info on understanding bookkeeping versus finance versus tax and all that fun stuff. Awesome. We'll put everything in the show notes so that you can link through to it. And thank you so much for joining us. 
If you liked this episode, please be sure to share it with a friend and subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes dropping every Monday. Plus, if you haven't already, please leave us a review and don't hesitate to share any new episode ideas. We love hearing from you and creating this content for you. See you next week.